Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of John. You may be seated. And we begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks on this blessed morning that you have gathered us once again to sing the praises of Jesus who was born into our flesh to be our Savior. We ask you this day, O Lord, that as we hear your word, you would grant us your Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Once again, uh, Merry Christmas. It's good to have you with us here uh, this morning as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus. Uh, hopefully by now, uh, you have already opened all of your presents. You have gone through all the rigmarole of the morning. Everything is kind of done. And now Christmas is over, right? Once the service is over, no more Christmas. So what's next? Okay, maybe not quite yet. You probably still have a little bit more uh, to do here today. And I know you probably don't like thinking about that question, what's next? You're thinking to yourself, at least let me enjoy the morning. At least let me have a nice day of not having to think about what's next for a few hours. And that might be what you're thinking, but I'm not going to let you do that today. Um, I'm wondering what's next. And my guess is that what is next is not all that thrilling. It is the taking down of the lights, the putting away of the tree, uh, the dieting to work off the cookies that you have enjoyed this holiday season, going back to work with no foreseeable vacation in the future. You're welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning uh, to think about all of that. This time, for some, this time of year, once Christmas is over and once we kind of get through New Year's, it can feel a bit like a letdown. After all this, this feasting and singing and celebration, this is a pretty joyful time of year. But I've got to be honest with you, for many of us, this is also a pretty stressful time of year. It gets to be a little bit busy. Getting back into the routine, into the everyday, might come as a bit of a welcome relief for many of us. However you react, however you feel about whatever's next, the reality is this, whether you're happy to be done with the stress or you're going to miss the joy, either way, what's next is probably just going to be mundane, routine, normal. And I wonder if that's not how it was for Mary and Joseph. What came next for Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus after that first Christmas? I mean, it for them was a rather eventful number of months. Angels appearing both uh, to Mary and to Joseph to talk about this virgin birth, uh, the birth of this child amidst the animals laying the baby in the manger, uh, the shepherds showing up to, to worship this baby after getting their own sort of Christmas concert from the angels up in the sky. It was all so surreal and overwhelming and wonderful and beautiful. And then what? I know, you're thinking, well, the wise men came. And that's true, the wise men did show up. But the reality is, despite what your nativity scene tells you, they probably didn't come for another two years or so. So the question is, what's next? What happened next? Well, not to be too crass about it, but God in flesh probably needed his diaper changed. Was hungry and needed to be nursed. Mary had to tend to the house. Joseph had to get back to work to provide for his wife and his new adopted child. This holy family that we idealize so much this time of year, and we must remember, was also 
just mom and dad and child, husband, wife, and son, they entered back into the mundane ordinariness of life, just like anybody else. People always wonder what it was like to have this, this child, Jesus, grow up in the house there. What was it like to have Jesus around this perfect baby? All the miraculous things they must have seen and known with the growing up of this child. And there's even myths and legends written about this sort of thing. But the reality is, is we don't know much about Jesus' childhood at all. Because my guess is that there was not much there to record. He grew up just like any other kid would have grown up. He had friends. He played games. He learned in school. He honored his father and mother. Well, maybe not like every other kid grew up. He honored his father and mother. And he even studied the scriptures, amazingly, the very scriptures of which he himself was the author. Jesus had a pretty normal childhood. I think this is kind of what St. John is getting at today as he writes for us in the beginning of his gospel this beautiful promise. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a wonderful and it's a mysterious promise from God that is one we don't want to move too quickly past here. What John is saying here is that God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, became a human being, a baby, who would grow up with the usualness of every other child. I think that's what we were kind of getting at in the hymn that we just sang a moment ago, Once Royal David City. I love the third verse of that hymn because I think it captures so well this word becoming flesh. We sang this, for he is our childhood's pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And he feels for all our sadness, and he shares in all our gladness. The word became flesh. The move of the divine God into the ordinary world. A wonderful thing to contemplate. And I think it's captured quite well. The whole concept here is captured quite well uh, by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He was a, a great author. Really, he wrote a lot of books for pastors in a previous generation. And you may know him from his uh, paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. And in dealing with this verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Peterson uh, paraphrases the verse this way. He says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. How ordinary and beautiful. The Word became flesh, came to the neighborhood. He dwelt among us in the everyday life of our world. And I think from this sort of idea here, this, this, this picture we get of what Jesus came to do, we have two wonderful promises for us to contemplate here this Christmas morning. Two wonderful gifts that the Lord Jesus gives us. The first one is this. And we kind of talked about this last night if you were at the Christmas Eve service, so this will be a little bit repetitive. But the first thing we recognize is that when God moves into the neighborhood, he does so because he does not want us searching for him in the heights of holiness. He is not the sort of God that we can pursue and find. He is not the sort of God who puts himself up on a glorious mountain like some kind of guru and waits for us to travail that mountain in our good works and holiness and arrive in his presence so he can reward us with something. He's not the sort of God who hides up in the dark recesses of heaven, 
so that we might pursue him with philosophical inquiry, and once we figure him out, then we will see the light. He isn't even sort of a spark of divinity inside of us that we have to awake so that we might realize our true potential with this God. No, he is not a God who is to be searched for and discovered. He's a God who moves into the neighborhood. He does the searching. He does the seeking, the finding, the forgiving, the saving. All of this he has done for you. The light comes into the darkness. John writes, he is the true light which enlightens everyone and he was coming into the world. He was in the world, but the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is God's will to seek us and find us. It is God's will to save us. It's his will. It's his work that matters. It's his will. It's his work that saves. And he does it by becoming one with us. God is not ashamed to come into our flesh, to be one with us, and to call himself both our Savior and also our brother. How far into the flesh did God come in Christ? He came completely to identify with us fully and completely, only except for this, he came without sin. And because he is one with us, because he is one of us, because he is our Savior and our brother, he can stand before God's judgment as our representative. He stands as the representative of the fallen human race, and our brother stands in for us to take the judgment of God's law. His righteousness he credits to his people, and his death he dies to pay for the sins of all humanity. His whole life, from the womb to the cross to the empty tomb to the session at the right hand of the Father, is lived in the flesh for you and for me and for our salvation, to bring us the forgiveness of sin and to give us the hope of everlasting life. That's what he did for you in his coming. That's what he's doing for you now. But then the question, of course, is what's next? What's the result of all of this in our daily lives? I mean, you hear this again today. You hear the message, the same message. You receive the same Jesus that Joseph and Mary received. You celebrate the same Jesus that the shepherds celebrated. You sing the same kinds of hymns that the angels sang. The bread of life that was in the manger of the animals will now soon come to you in the bread and the altar and the wine on the altar to be placed on your lips for the forgiveness of your sins. The light in this way shines in the darkness of our world. But what's next? What happens after we leave this place? Well, this brings us to the second great truth that I want us to hear in the incarnation here today. That after such a holy encounter, after receiving such wonderful gifts today, just like Mary and Joseph, we will enter back into the ordinary world, into the mundane life of work and play, of traffic and weekends, rushed breakfasts and dinner dates, birth and life and death and, and schedule. We will leave this Christmas celebration and return to the ordinary, just like Joseph and Mary. But also like Joseph and Mary, 
We will go back into the ordinary world with Jesus. And because Jesus is found in the ordinary, the ordinary world we go back to is rendered holy. It is sanctified, as is everything that Jesus touches. See, sometimes we think of Jesus coming to save us and, and taking us out of the world, but what we need to remember is that Jesus has created this world that is his good world that he loves, and he's come actually to restore it, to free it from the confines of sin. This is what John is getting at as he writes uh, the beginning of this gospel in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And with him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. This world that Jesus made has been corrupted and corroded by sin, but Jesus has come to rescue it and restore it. He moved into the neighborhood to make the neighborhood righteous. And he who came to forgive all of your sins has arrived to free the creation from its bondage to, uh, bondage to sin and to reclaim the ordinary world as his place of work, as the realm in which he carries out all of his good work. And he does this through you and through me and the various relationships that he has placed us in and what we call our, our callings, our, our vocations. Jesus has entered into our, our vocations to render them holy. Think about it. Parents who raise children are honored because Jesus had parents, an adoptive father and a loving mother. Childhood is sanctified because Jesus grew just like each of us. There are those who are single, and the single life is rendered a high and holy calling for Christ himself never married. The work that we do is sanctified because Jesus was a carpenter's son. Friendship is a sacred gift for Christ calls us his friends and has many friends of his own. The poor are rendered holy and royal because the Prince of Peace was weak and needy. Every aspect of our life is sanctified for Christ entered into the neighborhood and lived just like one of us. Even the unholy reality of death is defanged and turned into a blessed sleep. For Christ died and entered the grave, sanctifying the graves of all who believe. And then in rising from the dead, he shows us how all of this is a glimpse and a hint of the new creation that he has prepared for us, that we will enter into one day when he returns and live a life free of bondage and sin. For today, know that you go from here into a life it has been sanctified and rendered holy because Jesus put on your flesh and moved into your neighborhood. So what is next for you is a life lived under the mercy of Jesus Christ, a life of love and mercy, a life where you receive what you could never achieve on your own, a life forgiven by God. John writes, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Your saints, you are those children who go to your callings and go to your homes to share the love and mercy you've received from God in this beautiful creation. What's next? Just that ordinary life of grace and love. That is truly extraordinary. Amen. We pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your faithfulness to us. 
your faithfulness to your promises, to forgive our sins, and to restore the creation to rights. We thank you that Jesus has come to accomplish these things by putting on our flesh and dwelling among us. Now, Lord, we pray that you would grant us faith to trust in you for all things, and you would give us love to care for our neighbors in this creation. And let your will be done for us always. In Jesus' name, amen.